Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according According to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. It's the spirit of sport. We're talking cricket with, of course, the legend himself, Australian coach Justin Langer. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the spirit of sport. I'm Jason Stevens. So glad you could join us for an interview I'm very excited about. I'll give you a bit of a hint who it is. He was a left-handed batter, described as Steve Waugh as the best batsman he's ever seen. Admittingly, Steve never saw me uh, open for St. George in the Causey Shield, but hey, hey, let's just go with his uh, call on that. Who am I to argue with the great Steve Wall? He was also known for his partnership with Matty Hayden. Him and Haydos, that partnership was considered to be one of the most successful ever in our rich sporting history. He's an established author. He also knows his way around the martial arts world, and he's head coach of the Australian cricket team. It is, of course, Justin Langer and... With cricket in full swing, it's pretty time poor, so it's an absolute privilege to have him on. JL, welcome to the Spirit of Sport. Hey, Jace, great to speak to you, mate. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, mate, uh, I really, really appreciate it. I've been a, been a huge fan as a player, but uh, now uh, as a coach as well. Uh, and before we get into it, I'm just going to ask you some getting-to-know-you type questions, so whatever comes to mind, just quick fire right back. Right. First concert? Die Straight. Where was that? In Perth, and it was... I was only—I was quite young actually, um, and I, I went to Die Straight and Kiss. If you can believe the Kiss concert, like, oh, <laughs> mate, they, they, they bring back some great memories. That oh, mate, I remember because I used to do the footy show in Sydney, and we had—we always had Kiss on. Always, it was just amazing, mate. I used to have his cards, you know, Ace Freely, and you know, with the bubble gum. And- oh yeah, <laughs> and the the the, the makeup. I got birthday. Like, one of my favourite birthday presents ever growing up. Was the kiss makeup? So, actually, now I've thought about it, I, I trained most days, so I might crank up the kiss in the gym this afternoon. I reckon. <laughs> I'll go for it, mate. The boys won't know who they are. But they, need, <laughs> they need a bit of enlightening, mate. Why not? Uh, first job. I like so many young Australians. I reckon I packed shelves in a supermarket. Um, yeah, I still remember, and every time it's funny because every time I walk into a supermarket now, you know the smell of a supermarket. Yeah, and because I used to work and pack shelves, I sort of get a bit of a, oh, not, not my favourite, but um, but packing shelves in the supermarket, number one job. Were you at the back or you in the store itself? No, it was always after uh, our next door neighbours owned an IGA or a, whatever it was at the time. We were talking about a long time ago. Yeah. And it was always the after hours. So when the shop was shut, I used to go in and repack the uh, shelves for them. Nice, mate. Nice. I used to do the, um, remember the cash of cans and, you know, used to drop them to the, to the, uh, oh, yeah, the course, server. Course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's back in now. It's back in now, isn't it? It's oh. recycling in the world. Yeah. It so, is, it is uh, but it was different then, mate. We had to put them on a scale and we we're bees everywhere getting, we were getting stung, mate. Right? So uh, I, I would have taken yours, I would have taken yours any day. Right, well, your- I, I, my, my two other jobs were one, trying to get some pocket money. I had to install air conditioners. And in Perth, 
Yeah, we used to start at five o'clock in the morning and have to get up in the roofs and put in ducted air conditioning. My gosh, that was and it was dusty and oh, rubbish job. And then <laughs> after that, my best mate had a big, had a huge pool company in the, in Perth, and we had to we had to go to big grinders and grind paint off the old swimming pools. Mate, no wonder I got strong arms. I mean, that was uh, you. Know, we had to put we talk about face masks now with COVID. We had to wear these big face masks, and and it was literally one of the toughest jobs of all time. Big heavy electric grinders, taking all the old paint off the swimming pool. So good, uh, good grounding. The, I feel for your kids now because have you put them to work at all? No, no. I got I got four daughters. Right? They're I all princesses. <laughs> like, seriously, all they. They have. They all do work in different capacity, um, and they've all got very good work ethics. So that's a good. But um, nah, princesses. They're not doing any of that tough work. Because mate, if they were, if they would have went to work and ever complained, you're just going to shut them down in flames with what what oh, you yeah, had to do, on. mate. Dry <laughs> your eyes, princesses. But I love my daughters more than anything. Remember, dry your eyes, princesses. Like seriously. <laughs> do you have a most embarrassing moment? I did. My, I did one of my very first. Speaking engagements, and I do. I, I literally do hundreds of court, you know speaking gigs. And one of my first ones, I got asked to go to Thailand to speak for Mitsubishi, and I, it was my first ever paid speaking gig. So I'm getting paid good money for it, and I've flown me and my wife to. And I literally forgot my lines on stage. There is no word. There's, I see a lot of people ask me about the speaking, and I say. Now, it actually replaces batting for me because I get really well prepared, I get really nervous, and then I get up on stage and I perform, right? I love yeah. it. I love I yeah. love to speak about leadership or talking oh. about culture or whatever. So, yeah, you're a very good corporate speaker. I've heard, I've heard you, actually. Yeah. But, but going back, my very first one, I'm literally up on stage and I was well prepared and I li- forgot my, I forgot what I was talking about. And whilst when, you, when you've got the audience um, captive, there's no better feeling. It's like this, this silence in the room. But this time, I was literally drowning on the stage. It probably only lasted about 20 seconds, but it felt like about 20 days. And I'm up on the stage and talk about embarrassing moments. My yeah. gosh, not only embarrassing, it was actually one of the worst moments of my life. And another key reminder to always be organised and always be ready. It's hard to explain freezing, but. I've been watching a lot of that com- comedians in cars having coffee and with Jerry Seinfeld. They, a lot of them talk about that where they they just go blank and you as hard as you can to as is as hard as they try to pull back the information, it's no. just, it, it's gone. It's just gone. It's literally like you're drowning on the stage. Yeah, it's right. the worst feeling ever. I think I'm going to know the answer to this uh, next question. But favorite movie? Well, I've got to say all the Rockies because I love. The Rocky movies, but, but I also Braveheart, like Braveheart number one for me. I think. Do you have a pet hate? Yeah, uh, dishonesty, oh, dishonesty, and political correctness. Ooh, that's a tough one in this in this day and age. Well, that's the point. I mean, the, the problem is the Australian way, as I know it, is to look someone in the eyes and tell them the truth. And often, my gosh, you know, and 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 with a lot of with social media now, if anyone has a any opinion contrary to the, you know, the populist opinion, then they get smashed. You know, it's really sad. It's really, really sad. So, um, yeah, so dishonesty, though. Dishonesty is my number one pet hate. Because I reckon we've elevated feelings um, beyond, you know, the value of telling someone the truth. So if you're going to, 
if you're going to tell the truth and maybe their feelings hurt, if we've elevated that to be more important than actually telling the truth. People are allowed to have an opinion um, and people who don't, and it's so cruel. I mean, the social media now, and, and even mainstream media can be so cruel. Um, I felt that. I actually did a board meeting at Cricket Australia um, on Friday, and, and one of the directors asked me what's been the biggest challenge, and I said, well, the biggest challenge has been my own mental and personal uh, physical health because the job is relentless, and if you haven't got the thickest skin in the world with um, media, then you know it's really hard work. If you if you ask the average Aussie, you know, average Aussie, you know, who's the who's the treasurer? They wouldn't have a clue. But if you say who's the coach of the Aussie cricket team, everybody knows. Mm. Everybody has an opinion because it's at the heart of Australia. This game. And well, I, I actually realised that when, I, when Australia, the sandpaper on the ball, two and a half years ago in South Africa, the day after, I went down to the Fremantle market, and for five years, no one's ever bugged us. Everyone's really polite and happy and says hello, but that the day after sandpaper, my gosh, there's people coming from like bees to honey. Mate, Jay, what's happened? What's happened to our cricket team? What have mm. you done? Da, da, da. And I went, wow. And then the following day, I went down to on the board of the West Coast Eagles Footy Club, AFL Club. There was about three hundred Aussie workers on the construction site, hard hats and you know the high vis shirts and their steel cap boots, and they're coming up and they're just, what's happened? What has happened to our cricket team? You know, we cheated, and, and that was the moment I realised, wow, I mean, how important the Australian cricket team and Australian sport is to to our community. Something you wish you were better at. Two things. One is singing, but the other one is um, losing. I wish I was better at losing. I hate losing. My gosh, I hate losing. But yeah, I wish I was better at it because I get very introverted and very quiet and my mind goes a million miles an hour on how we find solutions when we lose. But yeah, I'm not I'm not a great it's not great at losing. Because I remember during the uh during the test your your daughter said, Dad, I've like I've never seen you like angry like this. I've never seen Oh, it's so funny. So my third daughter, she, they, we got to watch the episodes before it was the final cut. She, she loves the cricket and she said, um, yeah, she got this look on her face. She goes, Dad, it's the first time in my life I've ever seen you angry. Yeah, yeah I remember that. <laughs> and that was classic. So in one way it's nice because she, uh, you know, she's uh, hopefully pretty cool with, at home with the kids. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, so, and, and it's interesting. And I'm probably, we will talk about it, no doubt, but the test documentary was incredible because we've had I had a cameraman Andre with it literally every time from the moment I walked out of my hotel room every minute of the day for for eighteen months. Now that's hard, you know he was a great guy and he was, did a really good job of but yep. but that's really uh, quite confronting when you got a camera in your face every every moment you're out of your hotel room. You know, for me, like when someone loses it, I actually many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I feel like a bit better because I, I do too. And I'm like, uh-huh. I actually could relate. 
<laughs> rather than and I thought far out, especially that bit where you where you kicked the bin and then went and picked up every single bit of, <laughs> of paper. Oh, that, well, that, well, there's, there's two things about it. The funny thing about it, well, I kicked the bin, and when when they did the final cut, we were allowed to make any changes. And I remember saying to the director, I said, "Mate, you cannot put that bit of me kicking the bin." He goes, "What do you mean?" I said, you, "Mate, the people think I'm a psycho. I, you can't show me kicking the bin." And he said. Yeah, but do you see what you did next? I said, what do you mean what did next? Take the lines, just drop the easiest run out in the world, and we're about to lose. Yeah, what do you mean what I did next? He goes, mate, you picked up all the bottles. I said, what do you mean I picked up all the bottles? He goes, well, look, watch it again. You picked up all the bottles. One of, your, one of the team's values is humility, and there's humility right there. So, mate, don't worry about it. And, and how many people... It's been incredible how many people have mentioned to me about the kicking the bin oh, yes, incident yeah. and then and then picking up the bottles after. Yeah. It was a ama- it was amazing footage. I've got to say. I'm but, glad well, the other the it. other funny thing that night, that very night, because we'd lost the Ashes, Ben Stokes had played the innings of a lifetime. Like I explained to people in other codes, it was like we were in AFL or rugby or NRL. It was like three quarter time in, in AFL. You're kicking with the wind. You're twelve goals up. The, the grand final is all yours, and then someone kicks 13 goals by himself against that's the win right. to win the grand final for you. That's and that's right. actually what happened on that day. But the, I was going to say, the funny thing was, talking about kick the bin, and then I'm home that night, and it is literally the worst day of my coaching career. I mean, the ashes could be gone, and I'm, my mind was just about losing before. And I was on FaceTime. I was in a little hotel in Leeds, and um, my, I'm on FaceTime to my wife, and she goes, what are you doing? A bit like um, the director saying, yeah, but yeah, picked up. I said, what do you mean? What am I doing? She goes, well, what are you doing, mate? I said, she said, what are you drinking? I said, I'm drinking scotch. She goes, you don't even drink. <laughs> I go, I do tonight, baby. I'm drinking <laughs> scotch. So I'm sitting in my room by myself, drinking a glass of scotch, trying to, oh, my gosh, that's how sad. But then 10 days later, probably ended up being the 10 best days of my coaching career. Um in terms of how we went about our business, and then we ended up retaining the ashes 10 days later. So, That's you know, right. it's amazing. It's amazing how things work out. The thing you did growing up that made your parents the most upset? <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, the ball in the sock. You know, in the, 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 when, when you're a kid, and I, I just finished writing a kid's book, actually, which I loved doing, and, and I loved it because I talked about things I used to do as a kid. And, you know, you get the ball and the cricket ball in a sock and then you hang it from the garage or you hang it from the pergola or you hang it from a tree and then hit it back and forth. It's a yes. brilliant practice tool, right? So I used to hit that ball in the sock. Oh, I can't tell you. I was like obsessed with it. And then so you hear, and it used to drive my mum and dad crazy, I reckon, because I'd be inside all I could hear is, but me hitting the ball in the sock, but... As, we, as life's turned out, they're probably happy about being annoyed at me for a short time. Oh, timing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was repetition, mate. Repetition is the key. So you, That's the key, mate. Uh, the biggest thing you've been nervous about? Uh, well, again, not getting to – the biggest thing in my life I was nervous about, my, my – Beautiful mum died of ovarian cancer three years ago, mm. and it was the, no doubt the saddest day of my life when I found out she had it. And then you go through this roller coaster of emotions, and I'm sure there's lots of people listening who have been through the roller coaster of the cancer journey. And um, and the biggest thing I was nervous, and it's also been one of the great lessons of my life. I was so nervous 
what would happen the moment my mum died, if that makes sense. So I was so I, I was just really scared. I was worried. I was scared. What's it actually going to happen? How am I going to deal with that moment? But we were there when um, my mum passed away. She went to um, pass away at home, and we were all the families there when it happened. And actually, the, the thing that I'd worried about for three or four years turned out to be a really beautiful moment, and it, it just went to show me in the end. We spend so much time worrying, don't we? But whatever happens in your life, you can deal with it, you know. Um, and I worried about it. I was nervous about that for, for wow. years leading up to it. And then when it actually happened, it was uh, it was an amazing experience, Jace. It was like, wow. wow. You know, and, and it just, you know, my, my grandmother, who's a legend, she taught me. If, you, if someone today, I often get asked, have you got one regret in your career? And I go, yeah, I worried too much. When I was a young player, I, I just worried too much, you know. But what I've learned, my nanny used to say to me, my nanny was a classic, Jay. She, she's a old bitty. She actually died of ovarian cancer as well. But I used to go over there when I was at uni or, or and I'd have, she'd make these beautiful cheese and pickle sandwiches, right? Best cheese and pickle sandwiches you've ever tasted. But I'm trying to be an elite sportsman and the, Butter was about a centimetre thick. The cheese is about a centimetre thick, and the white bread. So you know, mm, talk about absolutely. trying to get your skin folds <laughs> down, mate. She's not doing much. She just have a big bit of cake for me every time. Anyway, I used to say to my nana, "Oh, nana, I'm really worried about this." And she goes, "No, oh, you worried? Are you darling? Is there anything you can do about it?" I go, "Yeah, there's something I can do about it." Well, she said, "Well, don't worry about it, darling." And then another day, I'd be eating my cheese and pickles and my cake and my cupboard. And I'd say, oh, man, I'm really worried about this. And she goes, oh, is there anything you can do about it, darling? I go, no, there's nothing I can do about it, man. She goes, well, don't worry about it then, darling. <laughs> and it's, it's the greatest advice ever. Isn't that nice? You know, is, we, we, wor- we worry about so much. If there's something you can do about it, you don't have to worry about it. You just do it. If there's nothing you can do about it, well, don't worry about it. There's nothing you can do about it. So... Um, and that went back to that moment with my mum. You know, I worried for so long, and then when it actually happens, you deal with it, right? You can deal with everything in life. Yeah. I do want to talk to you a bit about that. It was one of my questions later, because I know your mum was one of eight kids, and, and mm. um, you know, but, but also, you know, as we, we explore a bit about your spiritual journey as well, about life after and, and so forth, if that ever comes into the picture, to give you a bit of comfort as well, because... Uh, you know, sometimes we, well, we can see, we, we think this is it, you know, what we see in front of us and in this world is it. But sometimes, you know, there's, there is that, it, for those who believe in that, that that next realm, you know, whether that had an impact on you at all during your months. Yeah, it's one of the great mysteries, isn't it? It's, I think you have to actually, and that's spirit. I mean, I'll show that's faith. Um, it, it is one of the great mysteries, and and the truth is we'll never know, will we, until it happens. But um, but it's certainly yeah, no no question. It, it, yeah, I, I've always been a you know I think about my my beautiful mum, or I think about my grandparents that have all passed now. I think about my best mate, my best mate Benny Beal. He had a heart attack a couple of mates before my mum died. Literally had a heart attack at 40, 47 years old, dropped dead, um, wow. and. And again, that was another lesson in life. I mean, if my best mate dies, my mum dies, and if you can get through it, you can get through anything in life, right? Mm. But I always think that it would never make sense to me, and this is just my view on life, and this is my opinion. Um, and go back to Margaret Court, I might be wrong, but this is my view on life is that 
It never makes sense to me that you know all these incredible people with incredible spirit who have such an impact on your life, and then they die, and then that, that's it. Nothing happens. Mm. It just doesn't make sense to me. So, um you know, and, and I, I like to think that there's a heaven, and that's why we, you know, we try and be good people on earth. Because, you know, who knows? And heaven looks like I've got no, none of us have any idea. But that's a, if nothing else, it's a, um, it's a, it's a good reason to be a, you know, a really good person while we're on this earth. For me, and I guess with your Catholic background as as well, um, it all it all points down to the resurrection. Of Christ and whether that that actually happened, I I know you're an avid reader, and uh, you know I've been reading recently a lot of C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you remember him, uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and he he talks about the character of Christ, and and he says, you know, I guess if you look at what he said about himself, because he was he was the only one really in human history that wasn't crucified for what he did, but he was crucified for who he said he was. Right. Uh, yeah, and, and in in and in Roman crucifixion in those in those times, it was, um, it was it was un it was unheard of to actually put a man who was not a murderer on on the cross like that, and right. so it was so it was so um, um, you know, beyond the ordinary. And actually, I, I even even this morning, I was just reading about when they when they what they did to Christ and they broke his legs, and the reason they did that. Was because they wanted um, to him, him to asphyxiate and have a heart attack because if he didn't if they didn't break his legs he could have pushed himself up to to breathe um, oh. but they wanted him to sink and not be able to to push his legs and so C.S. Lewis says let's let's not make no mistakes he, he this 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 guy they call the Christ is either who he says he is which is the Son of God um, he is equal to God. Or he's the, he's a lunatic because what he went around saying, what he went around doing, uh, is it would be totally contrary to to the a, a sane person. Um, and then he said, but either he could be that, or he could be a liar as well. Maybe he lied to his friends. And he said, but let's not leave it open. The suggestion. Let's not leave any room for for the for. A lot of which, which a lot of people do believe that Jesus was just a good man. He goes, he couldn't have been just a good man. He was either mm-hmm. the, he was either Lord, he was a liar, or he was the lunatic. And and so, mm-hmm. so he actually does Justin tell us a lot about life after and about about heaven and what awaits. And I, I guess that's why you know I guess having a having and I know you you, you read the Bible as well and um you know he actually has talked a bit about the mystery that it doesn't have to remain a mystery that the next realm but yeah uh, yeah well I, I guess because of um we're human beings we're always thinking and wondering aren't we and uh because we've got a brain and we're thinking about it we yeah it is a mystery it's a great mystery it's a great mystery and you know personally i don't mind that i don't mind that it's a mystery i believe i believe i believe exactly um you know, I've got my strong faith, but I don't mind that it's a mystery. I think it's, um, but it's certainly in my mind, it's not a mystery. Yeah, no, that's nice. That's nice. And look, look, um, with with, uh, with uh, um, your 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 beautiful. It was Joy Ann, wasn't it? Your Joy Ann, uh, yeah, yeah, mate, yeah. Mate, I reckon she's just in her work. Her name says it all in Joy. Like she she'd be yeah. she'd be in Joy. There's no. <laughs> I was thinking of how hard a worker you were and what you achieved and. 
And I was thinking, gee, she was one of eight kids, mate. That's where you that's where you learn your grit from, I reckon, your mum. I reckon you, oh, you, you, you learn about humility, too. I mean, my mum's eight kids lived in um, a two-and-a-half-bedroom house all the, growing up. Um, beautiful. Gra- gra- her, her, my grandparents, um, you know, what? my grandfather was the greatest gentleman I've ever met in my life. I've never heard him, heard him swear once. He was a devout Catholic with my nana. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, humility. Eight kids. I mean, living in in that. So you know, they always had a lovely, a nice, clean house, and they always had food on the table. But mm. my gosh, I think that's where I learned a lot of um, lessons in humility from my mum and her family. The other uh, uh, amazing woman in your life, of course, is is your wife, Sue. Yeah, and, Sue. Uh, I loved. I actually when we when we spoke on the phone, I was just like, I was actually so taken back by the by the. The way you beautifully described her and your girls, and how well you spoke um, of them, and uh, you know you met at at fourteen. Uh, did you? Yeah, have we're both, 14, yeah 14, 14 years old. It's really funny because now I've got four daughters, and they go, and you know, they talk about having a boyfriend, and they're going, Dad, you can have a mum when you're fourteen. Oh no, no, I wasn't. No, that no, was no, we're just mates, but we just knew each other, all sort of stuff. So, yeah. Um, so, did, but did, yeah, no, oh, yeah. Did you, any, did you have any inkling at that stage that, that this was going to be the the wonderful, I guess, life and romance and adventure? Oh, we joke about it. I say, I just tell her, you know, she knew straight away, and I was just going, oh my gosh, my last ten years or so till we got married. But um, yeah, that's a that's a, a nice story, and it's really funny. Like we talked about some of the challenges of this job. And after the first six months in the job, we were in Sydney and she, uh, we'd just, we'd, you know, it's been a really tough initiation. My gosh, I was, and I was really tired. And she was going back to go back to, it was the day three or four of the test match against India. And we're at the hotel and we're at breakfast and, um, and the girls were all at the table with us and they were all flying back to Perth that morning. And she started crying at the ta- breakfast table. Mm. I said, well, what are you talking about? She goes, oh, I just don't know. I don't like this. what this job's doing to you, what it's mm. doing to us, you know, what people are saying about the team and what they're saying about you. And, and she got, and, and my gosh, for someone, that was a really important moment in this journey of this co- coaching Australia because I went, wow, I'm going to have to make a few changes here um, because it was affecting my family. And uh, she, I'm, I'm really lucky to have that um that strength and loyalty um, in you know with Sue as my wife. And I, I was enamoured by the um, I don't know if you got to see the um, Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, um, mm. and uh, you know because it, it it showed great insight to to the fans, of the sporting world of really the belief of of that great team, the great player he was, the mm. great the great coach in Phil Jackson, and um, he reminds me a lot of you because the way he handled um, Dennis Rodman. And you know the different, all the different personality types. Um, he's also a very authentic bloke, but the way he handled people with different backgrounds and so forth, where very much reminded me of your your approach, your holistic sort of approach. And another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. You know, it's, it's almost like you come across as a father, to be honest with you, to, to many of them. And that means having honest chats, which you talk a lot about. But, but uh, you know, really the fact that you care about the players and are very concerned about them becoming, yes, better players, but better men. Yeah, I, I think that what I've learned is... One of the great lessons uh, to, uh, as a coach is that, as we've talked about already, is that I've got four daughters, and what I've learned from my four daughters is that they come from the same place, they they have the same upbringing, and they're all so different, Jason. I mean, my daughters are all so different to each mm. other. So my point is, if my daughters are all different, I can assure you all my players are going to be different. So you've got to treat everyone differently. I mean, they've all got different personalities, they've got different... Um, drivers in life, they've got different motivations, uh, they've got different backgrounds. Um, so you've got to treat them different. Now, for a lot of coaches, that's very daunting because to do that, it takes a lot of time. And, and uh, if, if anyone asked me the most important thing about leadership, I would say, well, vision's one, but is you've got to care for your people. Mm. You have to care. And even if I come across as a tough guy, you've got to take care for the people. You've got to care for your people and make them feel special. I mean, they're great mentors I've had in my life and who are still some of my best friends to this day and the ones I'd run through brick walls for are the ones who cared about me and, and because they cared about me, you know, I'd do anything for them. And, and in caring for me, they're also the ones who have taught me some of my toughest lessons. You know, they're the ones who have told me the truth and we mm. talked at the start about dishonesty. But those great mentors in my life at the very time when they're telling me some hard hard truths about where I was at or where I was going or what I was doing, you know, I thought, you know, I could have walked away and go, yes, whatever, silly old man or silly yeah. old lady. Yeah. But oh, that would have been one of the great mistakes of my life because what I've come to understand is they only give you that advice because they care for you and they want to, they want to see you um, having the best life you can have and going in the right direction. So... And I'm so thankful. I mean, I would not be here talking to you right now with incredible mentors. But the other part of this is you've got to be open to it. You've got to be open to taking mentors into your life. A lot of people make the mistake of either closing themselves off or thinking they already know it all, and that's a big mistake. I used to, when I used to work at West Australia, West Australian Cricket, I'd have a big sign in my office, and it said, I never went to Harvard, but I employ a lot of people who did and I still think about that now. The more people, the great people you can surround yourself with, the more great mentors you can have in your life, the, the more chance you've got of being successful. You know, that's 100%. Because I'm, I'm a bit of a reader like yourself, and I remember reading about this uh, technique um, called the Jahari window, I don't know, the window model, and it, it basically just said what you said, um, to be honest with you, about you have to, you have to become – it puts you into four – quadrants that you're known to yourself um you're not known to yourself in certain areas so you've got a blind spot um that you're not known to others but then you are known to others in in certain spots and basically it's what you summed up was the fact that you've got to be open to receive um and aware of your blind spot because if you're not aware no matter like you could tell me and it just doesn't register because there's not humility to actually go, okay, am I actually, is what this person's saying to me truthful? And look, the truth, mm. truth is confronting and it it hurts. It can be, it can be a bit Well, it can, <laughs> but the other thing is we all say, what a lot of people say, oh, yeah, yeah I want feedback. 
Yes. But not many people actually do because it is really confronting and you've got to make a decision then whether you're going to make the changes or not. Like I know, I know, and I mentioned this before as well, I know, and it's my, I'd say my greatest weakness as a coach. In one way, it's the strength, but it's my greatest weakness. When we lose, I get really quiet, I get really introverted and people can see that in my body language. So, and it's an area that I'm working on, but, and I've been given that feedback before, you know, mm-hmm. um, one of my players I've known for a long time, just after England, when we were in quarantine in, in uh, Adelaide, actually, on the way back from England, he said to me, and my gosh, it was like a dagger through the heart. He said, sometimes some of the players think losing hurts you more than it hurts them. And I went, oh, wow. Was that Usman Kawaja? That- no, no, no. He gave you, <laughs> he confronted you too at one stage about the plays being a bit, Scared of you? Yeah, on eggshells. Yeah, but but again, a lot of people asked me about that after the test documentary as well. But that was literally three months into the. You know, when you come into a a team, everyone's starting to get to know each other. You know, they. Oh yeah. And they had no. So and I love was Mukulaja because he's so honest. And again, we go back to the dishonest. My biggest pet hate dishonesty. I love when a person has the courage to come to you and tell you the truth, as long as they've got. Some, um, there's some context to it, and not just saying it to try and be the tough guy. They actually come in you with the from the right place and tell you the truth. It is the greatest gift you can get, be given because, and that's why I love people like Usman because he'll tell me he told me the truth. I go, okay, thank, thank you, and then you've got a decision whether you take it on board and get better <laughs> or you quit and and be a sort. Because I liked it because they the camera's really focused on you when he was saying, it. and I'm trying to I'm trying to think. Oh gosh, if that was me, I think I'd. Be getting some crazy eyes at the moment, just seeding, just seeding, so, quietly seeding. Now <laughs> on the inside, on the inside, sometimes you're seeding because you want context, right? Context is important. Yeah, but yes. um, but when you like, I, I remember after that, just after Seward got upset in Sydney, um, the guy by the name of Tim Ford sat down with him. Tim Ford was the consultant who helped us bring Steve. Steve Smith and Dave Warner back into the team and he did an incredible amount of work. So that all the tough conversations have been had before they came back into the team. You know, there was a lot of scars from what happened in South Africa and um, anyway, after this six month job, he I was in a little cafe in East Perth in just near the Wacker and he said, Da da da, he gave me some feedback, you're doing this well and he said, But there's a few areas that people are telling me and I went, Okay, no, it's far away. He looked at it and I went, wow. And then it was confronting. But then at the end of it, I got this big smile on in my face. And he goes, I wasn't expecting to see a smile after I said, no, brilliant. I said, my favorite quote in life is the pain of discipline is nothing like the pain of disappointment. Mm. And it's going to take some discipline for me to make a few of these little changes. That's okay. That's good. And because now I know where, you know, where we're at and, uh, and, you know, I'm really thankful for it. But it is confronting at the time, Jace. My it gosh, is, you know, it it's going to But again, you've got the choice. Do you take it on board or do you ignore it? But if you ignore it, I can promise you things will fall fall apart around you. I try and put myself in the player's position. And, and um, you know, I think personally I would have been a, a better footy player if, if I was – really open to, to listening. There was always a part of me that was like, I didn't want to hear. And also, like, I had trouble watching myself, watching the games on replay and just critique. Really? Oh, I really struggled with it in those video sessions. And, you know, because sometimes mm. I think, oh, and, and obviously, you know, that's got to do with emotional, you know, intelligence and, and your, your maturity and all that. And, mm. and, and um, I think 
seeing you digest it, process it, change, grow, um, from from already being a great coach, by the way, not not you know starting out as. Oh, starting but, out. Having, but you, so having said that, yeah. I, I I always say, I hope the last day of my coaching career, I'm still calling myself a novice coach. Yeah. Because another really important thing about um, you know life is you've got to keep. We've been saying in the Australian cricket team as long as I've been involved since '93, as long as you get out of bed every day looking to get better, you and we can get better. And uh, I think it's a really good good advice to everyone. I mean, it's like, look to you know keep learning, keep looking to improve, keep growing. Um, because a lot of people don't. And uh, but again, you've got to have the courage and you've got to be open to doing that. Speaking of quotes. Um Steve Orr said you should always said to you some some great great advice. He said you should always praise publicly and critic criticize privately. Oh, absolutely. And as a coach, there's no better advice. I mean, if you, I often say to our players, if I if I call you into my office or in my room, I close the door. You know, we're going to have a really tough conversation. But the rest of the time, um, and and again, it's such a simple thing. If if you're in if you're in um, a team or you're talking to the media. And you criticise someone to take the heat off yourself. All you're doing is throwing other people under the bus. Mm. So you never, ever, you'll never hear, or hopefully, unless I make a mistake, you'll never hear me criticise people publicly because it's, there's no, there's literally a, a lose lose situation. But uh, having said that, I'll never, um, you know, and it's, I still get nervous doing it. But I'm a human. You care for people, but mm. if you have hard conversations then you've got to be able to look the person in the eye and tell them the truth. And they, they, they can be hard conversations, but it's something you learn and you get better at. But I, I keep going back to that point, Jace. If you tell the truth, you can never, ever go wrong. You said that, uh, you know, the courtship started early. And do you do you actually remember the, like, the first date with with her? Yeah, we went to the Royal Show. Oh, wow. So that's like our yeah, so Easter show here, is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. it. So we have the royal, big royal show. It's done in October every year. And it's um, and she went, we went to different schools. But, um, yeah, she was at the royal show and I was at the royal show. And, uh, well, then the funny thing is, actually, now thinking back on it, is I actually, my I really fancied her mate, Nat Christie. <laughs> but Nat Christie decided she, she was best. She fancied my best mate. Um, Todd so I missed out on the big prize and I at the time thought oh yeah no worries so we thought nothing of it I had a crush on a mate and then before you know it um, we had a crush on each other and yeah it's been going we've got still got a crush on each other you know 35 years later well mate you, you, things started sort of well then with the, that, that first date I remember reading about Adam Gilchrist and it's a bit of a step up from his first date I think he took his now, wife to see Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> Did you I didn't know. know. I mean, I mean, Gilly's one of the all-time great blokes, and and Mel, his wife, they're the same. I mean, and I think. But Rambo, um, Steve Warren, Lynette, um, Haydos, and Haydos and Kelly—they're all childhood sweethearts. They so uh, there must there must have been there. So yeah, some nice stories to it, that's for sure. Steve Orson, he said, he texted him and said, because Steve, I've got to say, he really helped uh, uh, tee up this interview, and um, he said, uh, ask him about the lions whizzing on us in Zimb- Zimbabwe uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the media shower in Antigua. Oh, mate. One of, the, one of the funniest things, 
One of the great mate, I've got a, in my games at home. There's a photo of Steve Ward. I was sitting on the um, on a train with these crazy looking hats on, and uh, we first test tour to Zimbabwe, Australia. First test, and we played a practice game, and we organised. We thought, well, we're in Zimbabwe. We might as well go to the Victoria Falls. Well, we're here. We've got to see the Victoria. So Stuart McGill, who was the twelfth man in that game, organised. I got some eskies and. We're going to take the, what ended up being called the Bulawayo Express to the Victoria Falls. Now, we thought it was just a couple of hours down the road. It was a 14-hour trip. Oh, it was a 14 hour, and we're playing a test match two days later. We're on a 14-hour slow train, but a couple of things happened. One, we're, um, I've never, an African sky, if anyone ever gets, listeners gets the chance to see an African sky, it is literally the greatest thing you've ever seen because this is, uh, I didn't realise there's so many stars in the sky call me dumb but um, but an African sky and then we pull up to one of the stations and there's this guy he would have been a 150 kilogram giant of a Zimbabwean man he had this like this crazy hat on his head so I said mate look at this guy's hat anyway we, I called out the window hey mate can I buy you a cap off you and I, he said oh I don't know. and I gave him 20 US bucks and mate 20 US bucks is like a million bucks so this guy couldn't get off his head fast enough and he gave me the cap and so and then what happened everyone got wind of this so then we're all sitting in this cabin and all these Zimbabweans are lining up and they're walking and they're sitting in front and people were auctioning their hats off for them so so we all had these crazy hats and then we got to Victoria Fall and we went to this this game park and we're standing and these lions I mean lions that's it and all of a sudden we're standing, and this, <laughs> this lion is starting weeing all over us. Like, talk about a bit of lack of respect for the Aussies in Zim. But, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's, it's the brilliant thing about uh, my life is that I've been able to go all around the world with my mates, you know, Steve Waugh and Matthew Hayden and Ricky Ponting and Adam Gilchrist and Glenn McGrath. They're literally like my brothers, and I've... I, I, not only do we have great times on the field, but we had great times off the field, and for that, I'm you know feel to be the luckiest bloke in the world. Mate, you, you know what? It's one of the things that uh, those experiences, and if you're fortunate enough to have played in a team for for a long time, I played as well uh, professionally for 14 years. But um, the memories, the experiences, the laughs in the change room. But you know, it hit me. It hit me pretty hard when I retired. That was all gone. Um, yeah. Did that ever? Did that ever? Because because I've, I've been trying to to get a documentary up about um, about athletes retiring, and there's a saying that goes, you know, athletes die twice. The first times at retirement, and it's it's very hard to understand that unless you've been in the position of because you, you know you get you you're with these guys more than you're with your family with anyone more so for you guys who can be away three hundred days of the year. Yeah, sh- but it's also yeah, but it's also like um, it's hard to replicate the the experience. So I find yes. it's, I said it's about public speaking, but yeah, it's very hard to replicate walking out in front of a hundred thousand people at the MCG. Oh, mate, the adrenaline on Boxing yeah. Day, and yeah. and then get in the fight with the you know a, a England or or just uh, and and also the other part of it is, and we we still have a choice to do this, but you know you're in the best shape of your life. You know, you're fit, you're healthy, you're training, you get paid to get fit and improve your skills. But then there's the other side. I actually remember um, 
writing an article about it years ago, and it's called the irrelevance syndrome. And what happens is that you go from being an elite sportsman, and I, and I, I experienced this the year after I was tired. I, I went back and I there was a um, all stars game. They asked me to be the coach of it, ironically, and and I remember playing it the Gabba and it was I'd just become the coach for the first I was just a one off game and it was the All Stars versus Australia or Australia or something. And there's a big crowd there and I remember walking down the race and all these kids were asking all for autographs of all the players and not well, I played a hundred tests and not one of them asked me for my autograph anymore. Oh, that's because so I'm funny. just the i I'm just the coach now and that was the that was a really, really important lesson for me. Wow. About that in, in again in humility because you go wow mm. and what happens the day you leave you go from all this adulation mm. you've got that you get live and, and this is going to sound like almost pathetic but mm. after, when I retired from playing cricket for Australia all of a sudden I had to go and find my own doctor I had to find my own dentist I had to find my own physio and I found all these things that were on a platter for us yes for all those years and I'm going right you, you join the real world and I say this mm. often. Any sportsman who thinks we are living in the real world, they're kidding us. We're living in a fairy tale world. We are literally living in a fairy tale world. Um, So enjoy it while you can because then you'll go into the real world. And that's the real world, not what our world. Our world is a fairy tale world. I mean, you know, let's, let's, make no bones about it. We're, we're not living the real world. And any of the athletes who say we are, it is real for us. It's what we are living right now, but this is. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply fairy tale compared to the real world but really what what, what you're touching on there is, is identity and, and self-worth because you know how that happened with you with the the autographs I'd, I'd literally retired and uh and paul gallon he called me at the first game of the sharks home game so it's only about three or four months after you retired mind you you know you sure. played 14 years in the top grade and sure. And he said, come sit with us. And I said, no, 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 there's new props. There's, I don't want to, I don't, mate. And he goes, please, please come. We want you to be part of it and just sit with us. And, and so I went and sat next to the gals and um, this young kid came with a jersey, Cronulla jersey, and gave it to him and he signed it and then he handed it to me. And the kid pulled it away from me, literally pulled it out of my hands and said, who's he? And I was like, yeah. oh. Yeah. I was like, I, it just hit me. Like, yes, yeah. and, and, and I actually did go into a fairly – hard sort of number of years I, I really think to be honest with you um in terms of like trying to trying to think about where i get my worth from and you know because mm. it's always important what you do for a living but it's not your worth and but that lesson is is very it's, it can be a painful one uh, to learn uh to, to be honest oh, no doubt and then that's why we talk about developing people not to develop in the team, we talk about developing great cricketers, but also developing great people. And people think oh, that's a cliche, and they're just it's like a poster on the wall. But it's actually so true because so you've true. got to. And, and and one of the one of the benefits we had when I started playing, we always had to work. So you only got paid if you're in the first eleven. So uh, as I was able to work for a stockbroking company, I was able to work at, at the at Bank West over there. 
at the start of my career, I always had to do other things, or I'd study, or I'd, I'd because if you didn't, and what it actually meant was that by being able to do that, I rushed training. I could not wait to get to training, and because I was so um, enthusiastic for training, I'm sure my my training practices improved. So I loved every minute of it. Now in the professional world that we live in, we got guys who train for two hours a day, or whatever and then what are they doing and that's a it's a real issue for us because when they leave the game and I say this often please don't judge yourself on how much money you earn because mm-hmm. judge yourself by the impact you had on other people by what you've achieved in your career because there's lots of money in our game at the moment but the other thing about it is money runs out mm-hmm. like money runs out really quickly if you retire at 30 or 35 You've still got 35 more years to keep yourself inspired and motivated and keep working. If you think it's just going to be cigars and slippers and drinking pina coladas because you've got lots of money, you are kidding yourself. Yeah. It's not how life works. So that's why developing other skills along the way is really important. Don't you think, Justin, because we're created for purpose and to live meaningful lives, and that, that doesn't stop once you've once you've finished, maybe even achieved your goals in cricket, if you're not continually searching and pushing towards meaning for your life, you really die on the inside in a sense. And you don't live your, your best life because often I tell players who have finished it, now it's time to dream another dream, like dream another dream. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And use all the la- one thing we do have as sports, sports people in retirement, you learn incredible lessons. You learn about goal setting. You learn about dreaming. You learn about hard work. You learn about discipline. You learn about, you know, dealing with ups and downs. So if you can replicate that in the next part of your life, well, well it's going to be a great life, isn't it? And, and that's something I've also um, noticed, that people who are great in one area tend to be great in other areas as well. And it might have something to do with their personality, but I think mm. more of it's got to do with the lessons they're learning. I mean, Steve Waugh has been an incredible success off the cricket field to this day, uh, Adam Gilchrist, Ricky Ponting, uh, the guys I played with, they were great cricketers, but they're also amazing people, and it's no wonder they're successful in other chosen professions after the game. Mate, I, I, 100%. And, you know, thank you for, for sharing on, on all that because um, it's, it's – for people who are listening, they they may not understand the, the plight of a player and what they sort of go through because – and definitely not looking for sympathy either. Either when I say that we, you know, we struggle. Sometimes it's a struggle once you sort of retire and so forth. But it is an important issue to to build a life outside of even while you're playing. I don't. I mean, your schedule would be incredibly hard to to do that. But I, I still think there's probably there is room for players to to network and start to build life outside of a footy as well. Because if you only ever focused on footy, I mean, on cricket. Sorry, it's it. It can be exhaustive too. Do you know what I mean? Like it's good to have an outside interest and in another, and another sort. Well, of... yeah, no doubt. Well, I've said about COVID. The only thing I didn't like about COVID was COVID. Yeah. Because I um, last year I was on the road three hundred days of the year. Oh. All of a sudden, I was home in the winter. I was with my family every day. I was reading. I was learning. I was listening to podcasts. I um, got to speak to some unbelievable people through different um, coaching forums or leadership forums. I got to present about leadership. It was just, my, I was inspired by the learning I, I gained in that period. There it is. It's going to come with a four. Second best. Second double century for Justin Langer. 
That's a standing ovation for this young man who's come such a long way. He plays an aggressive brand of cricket these days, and this uh, crowd here appreciate it very much indeed. This morning we've announced Justin Langer as the new head coach of the Australian men's cricket team, and uh, on behalf of everyone in Australian cricket, I'll say congratulations, Justin. I think one of the things that's really important is that we keep looking to earn respect. To me, respect's more than, worth more than all the gold in the world, so earn respect on and off the cricket field. I think also another really important foundation over the last six years in Western Australian cricket is that we look to encourage great cricketers but also great people. So if we can encourage great cricketers and great Australians over the next four years, starting from day one, uh, I think that's a really important foundation for us. It's not just about how we play our cricket, it's also about being good citizens and being good Australians. Uh, the biggest thing you've been nervous about? Uh, well, again, not getting to, the biggest thing in my life I was nervous about, my, my beautiful mum died of ovarian cancer three years ago, mm. and it was the, no doubt the saddest day of my life when I found out she had it, and then you go through this roller coaster of, Emotions, and I'm sure there's lots of people listening who have been through the roller coaster of the cancer journey. And um, and the biggest thing I was nervous, and it's also been one of the great lessons of my life. I was so nervous what would happen the moment my mum died, if that makes sense. So I was so I, I was just really scared. I was worried. I was scared. What's it actually going to happen? How am I going to deal with that moment? But we were there when. Um, my mum passed away. She wanted to um, pass away at home, and we were all the families there when it happened. And actually, the, the thing that I'd worried about for three or four years turned out to be a really beautiful moment. And it, it just went to show me in the end we spend so much time worrying, don't we? But whatever happens in your life, you can deal with it, you know. Um, and I worried about it. I was nervous about that for, for wow. years leading up to it. And then when it actually happened, it was uh, it was an amazing experience, Jace. It was like wow, wow you know. And, and it just you know, my my grandmother, who was a legend, she taught me. If you if somebody today, I often get asked, "Have you got one regret in your career?" And I go, "Yeah, I worried too much when I was a young player. I, I just worried too much, you know." But what I've learned, my nanny used to say to me, "My nanny was a classic, Jace. She she's a old biddy. She actually died of ovarian cancer as well, but." I used to go over there when I was at uni, or, or and I'd have she'd make these beautiful cheese and pickle sandwiches, right? Best cheese and pickle sandwiches you've ever tasted. But I'm trying to be an elite sportsman, and the butter was about a centimetre thick, the cheese was about a centimetre thick, and the white bread. So you know, mm, talk about trying to get your skin, your skin <laughs> folds down, mate. She's not doing much, and she just have a big bit of cake for me every time. Anyway, I used to say to my nana. Oh, Nan, I'm really worried about this. And she goes, oh, you're worried, are you, darling? Is there anything you can do about it? I go, yeah, there's something I can do about it. Well, she said, well, don't worry about it, darling. And then another day I'd be over eating my cheese and pickles and my cake and my cupboard. And I'd go, oh, Nan, I'm really worried about this. And she goes, oh, is there anything you can do about it, darling? I go, no, there's nothing I can do about it, Nan. She goes, well, don't worry about it then, darling. <laughs> and it's, it's the greatest advice ever. Isn't that nice? You know, it we, is, we, it is. Wor- we worry about so much. If there's something you can do about it, you don't have to worry about it. You just do it. If there's nothing you can do about it, well, don't worry about it. There's nothing you can do about it. So, um, And that went back to that moment with my mum. You know, I worried for so long. And then when it actually happens, you deal with it, right? You can deal with everything in life. Yeah, I do want to talk to you a bit about that. It was one of my questions later because I know your mum was one of eight kids and, and mm. um, you know, but, but also 
you know, as we, we explore a bit about your spiritual journey as well, about life after and, and so forth, if that ever comes into the picture to give you a bit of comfort as well. Because, uh, you know, sometimes we, well, we can see, we, we think this is it, you know, what we see in front of us and in this world is it. But sometimes, you know, there's, there is that, it, for those who believe in that, that, that next realm, you know, whether that had an impact on you at all during your months. Yeah, but it's one of the great mysteries, isn't it? It's, I think you have to actually, and that's spirit. I mean, I'll show that's faith. Um, it, it is one of the great mysteries, and, and the truth is we'll never know, will we, until it happens. But um, but it's certainly, yeah, no, no question. It, it, yeah, I, I've always been a, you know, I think about my, my beautiful mum, or I think about my grandparents, that have all passed now. I think about my best mate, my best mate, Benny Beale, he had a heart attack a couple of mates before my mum died, literally had a heart attack at 40, 47 years old, dropped dead. Um, wow. and, and and again, that was another lesson in life. I mean, you, if, and, uh, my best mate dies, my mum dies, and if you can get through it, you can get through anything in life, right? Mm. But I always think that it would never make sense to me and this is just my view on life, and this is my opinion. Um, uh, and go back to Margaret Court, I might be wrong, but this is my view on life, is that it never makes sense to me that you know all these incredible people with incredible spirit who have such an impact on your life, and then they die, and then that, that's it. Nothing happens. Mm. It just doesn't make sense to me. So, um, well, you know, and, and I, I like to think that there's a heaven, and that's why we, you know, we try and be good people on earth, because, you know, who knows? I mean, Heaven looks like I've got no, none of us have any idea. But that, that, if nothing else, it's a, um, it's a, it's a good reason to. Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto: Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Be a, you know, a really good person while we're on this earth. 